Welcome to Your Rights at Work. This is Chris Garlock. Ed Smith and I are off this week, but we've got a special show for you today. First, on the State of Working America podcast, Heidi Sheerholz and Josh Bibbins of the Economic Policy Institute fact-checked the labor shortage hype. Then, from the San Francisco mime troupe seeing red, what will it take to get people to stop voting against their interests? How do we overcome the divide-and-conquer tactics that keep us all down? And when did our electoral choices get so limited? Thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the State of Working America podcast, where we strive to provide a reality check of how workers from all walks of life are impacted by the economy and what needs to be done to address workplace inequalities. Today, we're taking on a contentious topic right now, the labor shortage. What we see in the broader economy is not that there are job openings, but employers can't find workers to fill them. It's totally the opposite in that there are way more unemployed workers than job openings. There are just not enough jobs available right now for people who need them. I'm Eve Takanjiolu. I'm the Communications Director for the Economic Policy Institute, known as EPI. We're a nonpartisan think tank focused on leveling the playing field for all working Americans and their families. With the economy finally opening up, many businesses, particularly in the restaurant industry, are saying they can't find enough workers. We're here to figure out the real scope of the problem and also to shine some light on why help-wanted signs are staying up a little longer lately. Some blame unemployment benefits increased during the pandemic as a key contributor to the shortage, um, but is the real issue continued health care fear, health fears, child care struggles, many folks going through that, and maybe the lack of good paying jobs, is it really about a crisis of low wages. One ice cream shop owner in Pittsburgh is a good example of what might be happening. He was having trouble finding enough workers to fill the many openings he had, and his solution? Simple. He raised the shop's minimum wage from $7.25 an hour to $15 an hour, and he got a thousand application. His store, Clavin's Ice Cream Parlor, was able to fill 16 positions practically overnight. And those, was her, the, those were his words that he shared with a lot of media outlets that were interviewing him about that. To make sense of what's really happening, we have uh, two of the Economic Policy Institute's labor market gurus, uh, Josh Bivens, EPI's Director of Research, and Heidi Shareholds, Senior Economist and Director of Policy. They wrote a recent piece on the labor shortage and it provided a reality check on how leisure and hospitality shortages are not pointing to a larger economy-wide problem. And they also stress that this isn't the time for policymakers to rein in unemployment benefits and stimulus efforts that we've seen um, during the pandemic. Uh, so welcome, Josh and Heidi. I'm so glad that you've joined us today to put this all in perspective. Uh, and let's jump right into it. I mean, how big of an issue are labor shortages right now? It's it's a really good question. And the bottom line answer is we are not seeing widespread labor shortages. We do not see the widespread acceleration of wage growth that you would expect if we were if we were experiencing um, significant labor shortages. And I just think it's useful to think about why 
wage growth is the footprint in the data of a labor shortage. And that's just, if I'm an employer and I can't get the workers that I need, I will raise wages to attract, to poach workers from other, from other employers. And then they will raise wages to retain their workers and on and on. So that's what you see if there is a labor shortage. We are not seeing that in a widespread way, but we are seeing it in some isolated sectors namely leisure and hospitality. So that in that sector, over the last few months, we have seen wages accelerate to, to, for employers have, as, as leisure and hospitality is reopening more broadly, employers have had to raise wages to attract the workers that they need. But the really important context there, and it, it sort of gets at this question of are wages and leisure and hospitality too high? The answer to that is just a resounding no. What we have seen in leisure and hospitality is that in order to raise wages, employers have, in order to attract workers, employers have had to raise wages from their extremely low levels that prevailed during the worst of the COVID pandemic. So if you look at what happened to wages in leisure and hospitality, and that's where restaurants are, they plummeted during the worst of the of the recession. They have accelerated in the last three months, but only to roughly what you'd expect them to be if COVID had never happened. So they're not too high. What we've seen is employers have had to increase wages to roughly what they would have been if COVID hadn't happened in order to attract workers as things are more broadly reopening. So we are seeing some of that tightening in leisure and hospitality, but there is no evidence that we are seeing labor shortages be a widespread problem in the labor market. In fact, it's the opposite. What we see in the broader economy is not that there are job openings, but employers can't find workers to fill them. It's totally the opposite in that there are way more unemployed workers than job openings. There are just not enough jobs available right now for people who need them. A lot of the media reports that you hear that are, you know, screaming labor shortages is around leisure and hospitality, restaurants in particular, resort towns. And there's this growing narrative that, you know, it's the lucrative jobless benefits, the unemployment benefits, uh, keeping workers from, you know, taking these jobs. Uh, what would you say to that, Heidi? I mean, is that fair in any way? It is. What... The way I would summarize this is to say, we know for sure that unemployment insurance benefits are not harming the labor market. And you can cut this a bunch of different ways. So, so one thing we've already covered is that we know, except in potentially in isolated sectors like leisure and hospitality, we are not seeing any sign of a widespread labor shortage. So it's not having a, any broad effect. The other thing that we can point to is to say, okay, what would it look like if unemployment insurance really were having an effect? One thing we know is that that extra $300 of unemployment insurance benefits that people who are receiving unemployment insurance get right now, that extra $300 obviously means a lot more to low wage workers than to high wage workers. But what we have seen in terms of job growth in recent months, months is that low wage sectors have seen much faster job growth than high wage sectors. And this is exactly the opposite of what you'd expect if UI really were keeping people from working because low wage workers are 
getting, quote unquote, way more from those benefits than high wage workers. So if UI were keeping people from working, you'd expect to see way less job growth than we are seeing amongst low wage workers. So the data in that way are not signaling that UI is a problem. We also know that, uh, for example, in recent months, labor force participation has grown, but it's essentially grown entirely among men, which is given that we know that women still shoulder the lion's share of care responsibilities in the home is sort of signaling that, you know, there's others reminding us that there's other things going on. It's not just UI. We also know there's people have lots of care responsibilities for kids. Many schools remain closed. People um, are dealing with elderly parents, um, care, care, care infrastructure around and around dealing with elderly people or workers with dis or people with disabilities has also faced a lot of crumbling over the course of the pandemic so that's keeping people out of work we know that health concern workers still have a very serious many workers still have very serious legitimate health concerns about covid um, the fact that the cdc has now said that people don't need to wear a mask is like amplifying those health concerns because if you're not vaccinated and you are a worker you now know, don't know if people who come in maskless do have or have not been vaccinated so there's lots of things that are keeping people out of work that are not about covid or sorry that are not about unemployment insurance so that's really important to keep in mind and then and then to to sort of step back from those points and just really think more broadly about what does unemployment insurance really do? I think it is worth noting that many leisure and hospitality jobs, any and jobs in face-to-face -face services have become far harder and riskier since COVID happened. And the thing about that is that in a well-functioning labor market, a well-functioning labor market would account for that by offering higher wages. But the thing is, we know that the low wage labor market is not always a well functioning labor market and that wages that low wage employers typically have a lot of power to suppress wages. And so here's where if UI is coming in is playing some role, however minor, in making it so workers aren't so desperate that they have to take any job they can get even at very suppressed wages. That is what economists would call efficiency enhancing. The UI benefits in that regard are actually making the labor market run better. So at sort of all of those different dimensions, the unemployment insurance are getting, it's getting benefits to people who either can't work or, or um, can't find work right now, getting, you know, stimulating the economy by, by making sure those people's, their spending is maintained and is actually helping the labor market run a little bit more efficiently right now. So it's, it's not damaging the labor market. In fact, it's totally the opposite. Well, thanks, Heidi, for busting that UI benefits myth. And for those of you who don't know, UI unemployment insurance benefits is what we're talking about. No, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, so if we do start to see some tightening, serious tightening in the economy, uh, you know, that often leads to inflation concerns. Lately, we've been hearing a little bit about um, inflation rearing its head, but uh, should we be fearful of that, Josh? Is that an issue now or something we should be looking for? So it is definitely not an issue now. I mean, I would say price inflation that is driven 
by like really broad-based wage growth that is too fast, wage growth and excess of economy-wide productivity growth for a really long period of time. Now, that's definitely one thing macroeconomic policymakers, particularly the Fed, worry about appropriately. It's the thing that would force them to raise interest rates, slow spending, and relieve downward pressure on unemployment. And that's the Federal Reserve, right? Yes. Josh, just that's right, Federal Reserve. Um, essentially, the Fed is always trying to balance the benefits of ever lower unemployment um, and higher pressure labor markets against the risks that these high pressure labor markets, really low unemployment, going to generate excess wage growth and eventually lead to, to price inflation. Um, but for way too much of recent decades, macro policymakers and the Fed have gotten this trade off really badly wrong. They've either engineered or tolerated unemployment rates really far in excess of what's needed to keep inflation tame. So in coming years, you know, what we need to see is a lot of forbearance from the Federal Reserve, switching from a regime where they basically say, we're going to stop on inflation before it even happens. We're going to get ahead of the curve and raise rates before inflation is even in the data. Instead, thinking about this in terms of um, we're going to take on some risk. We're going to tolerate some periods where prices or wages are actually growing kind of fast because we think that'll be transitory. We think the benefits of the really low unemployment and the better bargaining power will, will be large for workers. Um, and I think that's the regime they're taking steps toward to their huge credit under you know, Ben Bernanke and then Janet Yellen and now Jerome Powell. There's just been an increasing willingness of the Fed to realize that they have probably let unemployment be too high for too long and they're actually gonna take on a little bit of risk time because it's been decades since we've seen a problematic period of inflation. Um, so I think um, that sort of change in how they approach things is super welcome. Right, and, you know, looking at what's actually happening when you look at the data is so important, but you know, given these reports lately about shortages and you know, the hype that's going on for inflation, some states have already started to pull back on unemployment benefits their calls to pull back on stimulus proposals and plans on the federal level, including the American Families Plan, the American Jobs Plan. Would that, why would that be a mistake right now, Heidi? That would be a huge mistake. So it is terrible economics. I'll focus on the, the, the fact that we have, I think as the latest count is 23 states who said they are going to turn down the pandemic unemployment insurance benefits. So those are the insurance benefits that the Congress stood up just to address joblessness in this in this pandemic. So they include the pandemic unemployment insurance, which expand unemployment insurance benefits, eligibility for unemployment insurance to people who fall through the cracks of our regular unemployment insurance system, like gig workers. And there's also another program that adds additional weeks of benefits because our normal state programs have, you know, there are very limited number of weeks that people can get. And then there's the additional $300 that people can get in, in addition to their sort of benefits that are calculated through normal formulas, you can also get, you also get an additional $300 on top, which makes up for the fact that our benefits under regular formulas are extremely stingy. We do not have, we do not have the kind of safety net that works really as far as unemployment insurance goes, that's strong enough even in normal times, but it is absolutely not strong enough when we're facing elevated unemployment like we have during this period. The I, One of the things about all those extra programs is that they're fully funded by the federal government. States are not funding those programs. The idea that a state would 
turn down that money, they would say, ah, we just don't want that. When we know that those benefits are helping people who can't find work or can't work right now because of the pandemic, that and so it's it's not just you know making sure those folks don't drop into poverty, that they don't see their living standards really plummet because of the lack of available jobs right now. It is also helping sustain state economies because that money, that federal money coming in that people who are getting those benefits can then spend in their state is a big stimulus to those states. So the idea that state governors would say, we don't want that money right now. We don't want those benefits. We prefer to have our folks see their benefits cut off, even if they're unable to find jobs, thus pulling spending out of the economy. It's just, it's terrible economics. It really is a lose, 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 lose. It's, it's, a, it's just extraordinarily bad decision on the part of these governors. And it seems like, you know, governors are worried about, you know, an impending crisis, whether it's inflation or, you know, creating a labor shortage that's unattainable. But are we really talking about a crisis of low wages when it comes down to it, Josh? Just to, to circle back to the other issue just really quickly, I, I think one thing that's really important is that we were talking about, people were talking about the restaurant sector as like, the alleged labor shortage happening in the economy. You need to be really clear. It's not a labor shortage that is impinging on job growth at all. Like, yes, wages rose fast, but so did employment. It was by far the best performing sector in terms of job growth in the month of April. Like, if the rest of the economy had performed as well as the restaurant sector in April, like relative to their sizes, we would have gained like 850,000 jobs in that month. So it's one thing to worry about a labor shortage. But when it's a labor shortage that is not stopping employment growth at all, that just means you're worried about high wages. And that just means you're deciding to weigh in on the side of restaurant owners against their That is what they're doing because the, the labor shortage isn't stopping job growth. All it is is forcing wages up. I see fast job and fast wage growth, and I think that just sounds great. But is that a crisis? Why do we want to stop that? So I think that's one way to look at what the governors are doing. It's doing you know, what honestly, what conservative policymakers have done for far too long, which is, you know, they do what employers want them to do to keep wages low. And anything that might be providing any bulwark to workers' leverage, they're going to try to take out. And you mentioned, like, the lack of bargaining power for workers, but then that goes back to that has created, you know, again, a crisis of low wages. Yeah, the way I would think about this is, I, I think we have a a long-run crisis of low wages in this country that was with us well before the COVID shock. I'm not positive how much it intersects right now with like the current economic situation because at the moment there's no, there's no real crisis. Like like I said, job growth is doing really well in the low wage sectors and wages are starting to rise. Um, I would say um, basically I don't think the restaurant sector is either in crisis, it's just having fast wage growth and fast employment growth, that sounds great to me, and it's not really indicative of the, the broader economy. Um, and honestly, to, to be super blunt, you know, I think many restaurant jobs were really bad before COVID, and yet they were able to staff up because American workers have been so disempowered. Um, I don't think a ton has changed, except the jobs have gotten a bit worse for all the ways that, that Heidi mentioned before, safety concerns. Um, so my said, I, I, I don't think these past couple months are going to be indicative of what happens in the future in terms of workers able to demand much higher wages, unless we really do a lot more on the policy front. 
both locking in sort of a, a rapid macroeconomic growth the way we're trying to do, but then doing a bunch of other really fundamental policy changes, whether it's a, the $15 minimum wage or labor law reform. And a microcosm of what you're talking about when it comes to rising wages and more opportunities is that ice cream shop in Pittsburgh, right? They hired 16 people, they raised the wage to $15 and things are, are working out. Uh, so when we look ahead and, you know, these folks looking for jobs right now that are thinking, oh, wages are going up. Um, what can workers expect then in the next few months? I mean, is this a time to be bargaining uh, with employers or, you know, you're going to hit that same wall as it depended on the employer, of course. But Heidi, what are your thoughts on what we might be seeing in the next few months, maybe in the next year? I am rarely a optimist or I have been or have had little reason to be a super optimist when it comes to the labor market in much of my career but I am super optimistic right now that we will see really strong wage growth in coming months I think with the distribution of the vaccine with the economy really reopening more broadly now I just I feel and and the fact that the um, Biden administration, and Congress passed that Relief and Recovery Act, which meant that we've sustained the incomes of people so that as the economy reopens, they're going to be able to spend more money. As we've, we've filled in gaps that state and local governments saw revenue shortfalls during the, during the um, recession, and Congress stepped in with state and local aid to make sure they don't become a huge drag on the economy. So I feel really good, and this is all, Barring a vaccine-resistant strain of the virus that could set us back to square one, if we don't have that, I really feel good about employment growth going forward. Then there's this question of what's going to happen with wages, and I would quickly circle back to what Josh said. I think there's there's been conversations right now, are we seeing a big realignment of work? I don't see it unless we have this big policy push, unless we do see, we, we know that policy has played a really crucial role in creating the economy that we, over the last four decades, where most of the growth goes to just a thin slice of people at the top, where working people, where low and middle income workers don't see by any stretch their fair share of the gains, that's gonna take a big, organizing and policy push to reverse that. So just like what Josh said, things like we need to implement policies that will reverse the long run decline in unionization. We need to raise up minimum wages and other labor standards. We need to make sure the Federal Reserve keeps doing what they have been doing recently in making sure the unemployment rate um, is as low as possible. So those kinds of things are the sort of the crucial things going forward to make sure that our economy, that the recovery is not just about getting jobs back, but it's also an equitable recovery where we see wage growth um, continue or where the growth that we see in the recovery isn't just captured by the people at the top, but also is shared by, by regular working people. So it's something too for workers to be pushing their policymakers to do as well. Josh, is there anything that you really hope policymakers do focus on, uh, something maybe that workers can inspire their legislators to do going ahead? I mean, a whole bunch of things. I would say one, like Heidi said, 
just uh, stay the course on the macro policy approach. Then I think they should, um, besides the sort of institutional labor standards and bulwarks that help bargaining power, like a higher minimum wage and labor law reform, um, they need to focus on the things that make people's economic lives harder. An obvious example is the investments in care work that are part of the American job plan. Um, we know one of the things that makes people's economic lives really hard is the need to look after older relatives um, when they need care. Incredibly expensive and time-consuming. That is something a public social insurance program would help enormously. It should stay in the American Jobs Plan. It should be passed. Similar sort of arguments for child care um, and then arguments for um, green investments. Like, you know, as important as managing the business cycle and keeping unemployment low is, it is unbelievably important. There's still many other things you need to do to make people's economic lives better, and policymakers should get on that as well. That's great. Um, thank you so much. Anything else, Heidi, you wanted to add? I don't think so. I feel like there's always there there's always a million things to talk about, but that sort of felt like a nice complete discussion. Yeah, yeah, and you know, it's uh, it sounded hopeful. So you know, you put some perspective on the hype with hope. So thank you for, to both of you, Josh and Heidi. Thanks so much, Josh. Bivens and Heidi Shareholtz joined us from the Economic Policy Institute, um, where Josh is a director of research, Heidi's a senior economist and director of policy. To hear more VPI's podcasts, go to epi.org backslash podcasts. Uh, also make sure to read our latest research by going to epi.org and follow us on social media for to find out about new podcasts and a whole lot of other stuff at, um, at Economic Policy. Thank you so much for joining us. This is Radio Mime Troop, and welcome to Seeing Red, a time-traveling musical. Seeing Red, if you're living like a king, you better watch your pretty head. And now, your host, all the way from 1912, it's singer, songwriter, labor organizer, Joe Hill. Hey, comrades, the name's Joe Hill. A hundred years ago, I roamed this country with my guitar. I was fighting for an eight-hour workday a woman's right to vote, and a bunch of other things folks today take for granted. I thought working people had it bad in 1912, but 2020 just might take the cake. A global pandemic? The worst economic collapse in history? And your choices for president are dumb and dumber? Looks like it's time for me to make a comeback and remind Americans that we've always had other alternatives. That's right, folks. It didn't have to be like this. But if we don't learn from the past, we're doomed to keep settling for less. So tonight, I've got to find someone to take on a journey back in time. And I'll start right here, in this neighborhood bar in Union, Ohio, on election night 2020. BSNBC, giving you the lowdown on election night throwdown. Will it be Team Red or Team Blue? Go, Team Red! That's Bubba. He owns this bar. Left Ethiopia 20 years ago. And came to the greatest nation on Earth! 
God bless America, and God bless our president. Let me get this straight, Bubba. You're an immigrant, an African-American, and a Trump supporter? I came here legally and worked hard for everything I got. And that undocumented fellow you hired to sweep this bar doesn't work hard? This country needs a businessman who can run it like a boss. Bubba might be a lost cause, but there's got to be someone around here who can get their head out of their Bubba! Set him up. Bob! It's been four years! Bob? Short for Bobby Sue. But everybody around here calls me Bob. The badass butch of the heartland. Last election, Bob made a deal with God. If Trump beats Hillary, Bob quits drinking. <laughs> what are you having, Bob? Lemonade? <laughs> Whiskey. Straight up. But Bob... I don't want to hear it, Bubba. Trump said he was going to bring back my factory job. That never happened. Ugh, fill her up. And now, my unemployment's run out, so I'm driving for DoorDash. Delivering food to jerks who don't tip. Ugh, fill her up. And now my sister's come down with COVID, and I know she got it from that essential job of hers. Fill her up! America ain't looking so great right now unless you're a freaking Jeff Bezos. And what's Biden gonna do about it, huh? All I hear is, well, he ain't Trump, so I'm gonna get my drink on. Because no matter what happens in this damn election, we're all screwed. Mad, broke, and tipsy? Fill her up! Reminds me of a young me. Hey, Bob. What if I told you that working people can get together and make things better for everyone? I'll believe it when I see it. Well, here you go. Working folks of the world unite. Oh, what's going on? Why is everything spinning? Hang tight, Bob. I'll see you on the other side. BSNBC with the latest, greatest election night updates. Feels like deja vu, like we're going back in time. The politicians that work for wages come from every land. Join the fighting band in one union, grand them for the workers. We'll make upon this earth a paradise when the slaves get wise and organized. I don't remember this one from last night. Rise and shine, sleepyhead. Who are you? Where's Bubba? Bubba? Oh, my head. Oh. All right, baby. Rest five minutes. Then you gotta go. Hey, brother, in here. Joe Hill. You back! Ruby, we need some help. Look, sir, I appreciate your kindness, but four white men already split my head. I don't need to go looking for trouble in no white man's bar. You're bleeding! Cops do that? Strikers. Henry, this is Ruby. She runs this joint. Whoa! Well, she's a... Chinese lady. And you won't find no trouble in this bar. Speaking of trouble, that Fink Magarak still pestering you? Magarak? Eh. He's just a creep. I scared him off. How'd this happen? His first day at the steel mill. 
Tell her. They brought us over last night. A carload of Negroes on the midnight train from Louisiana. Company man said there's good jobs and good pay in Union, Ohio. Not a word about the conditions or why those jobs were suddenly open. 17 hours into an 18-hour shift, Foreman sends a guy up a slippery ladder with a six-foot wrench. Tighten that boat. Guy struggling up the ladder with that thing loses his grip. Falls, lands in a vat of molten steel. Hey, La. Then the foreman said, get back to work. I can't. Henry calls to his boys. No work till we get safe conditions. Guards grab him, drag him, throw him out the gate. Half the picket line jumps him for a scab. Yeah, you blame him? White men go strike for more pay. Bosses bring black men to work for less. Old story. Henry, I have Schlitz on draft, on the house. Root beer with bitters for you, Joe. Five cents. Hey, buddy, you wondering how she got here? On the train from California, stack of greenbacks sewed into her dress. Joe, wobbly meeting tonight upstairs. Election party down here. You change your mind and vote? (laughs) Vote? It's time to vote. You missed it, kid. But tell me. What did voting ever do for the working man or any woman? Nada. If your vote's no good, how come the bosses always want to buy him? Where I'm from, they killed to keep us from voting. Our party will give everyone the vote. This comrade fails to grasp one basic fact. Elections are a show the capitalists put on. They hand the country back and forth between themselves and make the workers think, see, we decide. Damn, Skippy. Funny thing is, we have the power but from the shop floor, not the ballot box. We want all the workers in the world to organize into a great big union grand. And when we all united stand, a world for workers we demand. World for workers? Yeah, right. If the working class could only see and realize what mighty power labor has, then the exploiting it would soon fade away. Uh-huh. And we'd have no jobs. We need the owners. Owners create the jobs. Without us, what do they have? What don't they have? Whose hands, whose backs create the wealth? Okay, but they put up the money. Where'd they get it? Come, come all ye toilers that work for wages Come from every land Join the fighting band In one union grand And for the workers We'll make upon this earth a paradise When the slaves get wise and organize In the great struggle Between the powers of greed And the rising hosts of freedom Freedom will finally prevail Eugene Delb said that Welcome, comrade. Y'all are reds, huh? Mm. Tried to join the socialists in Louisiana. They don't let Negroes in. Some comrades still so backwards. Left a bad taste in my mouth. But Eugene Delves came down to Lafayette, running for president as a socialist. He said, the man who seeks to arouse prejudice among working men... He's not their friend. He who advises the white wage worker to look down upon the black wage worker 
is, is the, the enemy, enemy of both. Henry, there's some folks upstairs who'd be honored to meet you. Are you too, partner? Me? Yeah, come on. Oh. First leave this one down here. Pleasure meeting you, Miss Ruby. You had a hard night, sister? Coffee? Coffee. Is it tomorrow morning? Oh. <clears throat> Try coming Thursday. That's when the odd girls come out. Odd girls? I like the sound of that. Hey, who won the election? Still counting. Do I know you? Not yet. Thought I knew everyone round here that's in the life. Thought I did too. Happened to Bubba. Bubba? No Bubba here. What are these new signs Bubba put up? No child labor, right. Keep jobs here. Don't send them all to Thailand. Fight for living wage. Yeah, freaking A. Break up the banks. Crush Wall Street. Are these Sanders signs? Have some more coffee. Crazy Bernie. Had some good ideas, though. Free college education. Yeah. Free health care. And not just for veterans. Everybody. Decent housing. Hey, for a quarter of your salary, not half. Old age pensions. They can't take out from under you. Tax the 1%. The who? The blood-sucking big-ass billionaires. Bleed them dry. Child care for working mothers. Six-day work week. I got that now. It sucks. It what? You're pretty. You're drunk. Ruby. Magarak. Wobbly meeting upstairs. Wobbly? Ruby, who's this squirt you're making eyes at? That's industrial workers of the world to you, boy. Hey, I'm not a... The ones who use our fists or dynamite. That kind of talk make Joe think you are a spy. Meet my new friend. Bob. Beat it, Bob. Quit bothering this woman. Not your woman, and this ain't your bar. Come on, Bob. Meeting's upstairs. Excuse me? It's time for you to go. <sighs> you push me one more time. Oh, really? <sighs> wow, you knock him out. Mess with Bob, that's what you get. Quick, help me toss him out. <gasps> He's gonna be bent out of shape when he wakes up. Can you teach me that uppercut? Sure. You just gotta put your back into it. Where are you from? San Francisco. You left there for here? For any place without a Chinatown. Extra, extra, read all about it. All votes counted. Wilson wins. Wilson? Give me that paper. Let's see. Republican loses. Bull Moose loses. Socialist. What? Draw 6% of nation's vote. Yes! Run upstairs and tell him. Yes, ma'am. 1916, we double that. 1916? 1918, double that for Congress. Better if us ladies get the vote. Wait, wait, wait. What? Congratulations, Miss Ruby. Ruby, this is huge. Washington to Wall Street to the San Francisco Bay. They're shaking in their shiny leather shoes today. Their hands were on the levers of the big machine. They were rolling in the green. Now instead, 
seeing red, seeing red. They wish we'd never heard a word that Eugene said. They're seeing red, seeing red. Our colors unfurled, unleashed upon the world. I know it's not your way. Comrade, it's your day. Hey, Rockefeller, put away the caviar. We're here to show you where to stick the big cigar. Party office. Go sign up. This one'll get you a place to sleep. Yeah, IWW, my wobbly card. Ruby, what in the hell's going on? There you are. Let's not forget a man died at the steel mill. Are we gonna let the bosses get away with it? No! So can we get 40 or 50 fellow workers yeah! to go invite two or 300 of those strikers yeah! to accompany us to the Hamilton Appreciation Society, yeah! where we have it on good authority that the mill owners have gathered to mourn the Republican loss. Aww. We're gonna let them know it's time to stop killing men for profit. Yeah! Ruby, what year is this? Are you still drunk? It's 1912. 12. 12. 12. Ruby? Oh no, everything's spinning again! BSNBC will be right back with more of Election Night 2020 after these messages. Wait, what? What? Ruby? Hey, kiddo. You! Hey, you were here. I, I mean, there. Who are you? An outside agitator. I go around writing songs, scouting talent. I try to find troublemakers. Name's Joe Hill. Where's Ruby? Was she real? Real as you and me. Eugene Debs, was he real? Was there ever such a person that ran for president as a socialist? Got a million votes in 1920. Even though he was in jail. How come I never heard of him? Think they want working people to know their history? I want to go back. Those people had hope. And that movement got us a 40-hour work week, an end to child labor? Right on! But the guys on top fought back. Tried to divide the working class. They're still doing it today. How? Take a look. Working folks of the world unite. 
don't you come here and say it to my face, coward? Extra, extra, read all about it. Germany near surrender, great war almost over. Go on. Nobody here to buy your paper. Fifty reds rounded up in Cleveland. Twenty million workers die in bosses' war. Scram! Ruby. Henry, you backed on the war? Yeah. Got discharged from the army a couple weeks ago. Wasn't sure you'd still be here. What with all that's been going on. Try to scare me. Make me stay. I came to tell you. You were right. What? You didn't raise up the Negro race? Make the world safe for democracy? You said folks think reds are traitors. We gotta show them that ain't true. So you went off to shoot your own class brothers just to prove you're red, white, and blue. I said, folks, look down on Negroes Like that's how it's supposed to be Only time they look up to us Is when we're swinging from a tree You're over there breathing mustard gas While some fat cat hot dog sits on his ass And drools at the schools of fools like you So proud to be killing and dying In the stench of a trench in more France, while he pockets his buckets of cash in advance for the guns and the shells and the rights of tanks. The world's so eagerly buying. It's no war to end all notion. They got any use for peace. Glad you're alive. Ruby, you're here. Henry. Well, look who the wind blew in. Mysterious stranger who vanished for six years. It's 1918? Where you been? In a coma? It's complicated. I believe that. What, what happened here? You never noticed since we joined this war. Open season on Reds? World War One. You haven't seen the posters, films, school books calling peace talk treason. Organizers getting deported. Unions purging Reds. Spies everywhere. Nobody told me. Really? 
What's your racket, Bob? Uh, who sent you here? Joe sent me. Where is he? He, he? Joe, that was here? You mean Joe Hill? Oh, you didn't hear about him either? Shot by a firing squad three years ago. Mine owners framed him, got finks like you to sell him out. Call him an agitator, a radical. An alien. I had nothing to do with it, Ruby. I'm on your side. Watch your back, Ruby. You got nothing on me, Bob. And I'm hitting the road anyway. I'm selling the bar. Got a buyer and everything. What about you, Henry? You're going to stay and fight, right? There's a brother in New York, Marcus Garvey. He's talking about self-determination for the Negro race. The color ball ain't breaking in my lifetime. Uh, But it will. A black man is going to be president. (laughs) Take care of yourself, Ruby. So long, comrade. Ruby. Beat it, Bob. Baya will be here any minute now. Ruby. Magarak? Let's see the deed. Let's see the money. You're selling the Magarak? What's this squirt doing here? You tell me. You the head of the Red Squad. You pulling a double cross, Ruby? You're one to talk. You used to stand with us on the picket line. Then I wised up. Pays better to report to Uncle Sam. Hey, you, pipsqueak, scram. Why don't you make me, Magarak? <laughs> Trying to protect her? Bet she never told you how she got the dough to buy this bar. Ruby Chen, best paid prostitute of Chinatown? Most exploited slave of Chinatown. The main sensation at Madame Ho's house of fun. Passed around the Tong bosses like Dim Sum. Plucked by one Gong Wing Chung, who put her on stage as a singing sensation. And kept every cent I made. Where she caught the eye of Alfred Simcox. Married heir to the Simcox shipping fortune who installed her in a top floor suite at the Palace Hotel. Locking me in a gilded cage. Until the 1906 earthquake, when she mysteriously disappeared. Alfred's remains were found in the debris, but Ruby and the safe were missing. Earthquake killed Alfred, and I took what he owed me. Back wages. You bought this bar with stolen money and harbored aliens, niggers, and reds. May 22nd, 1913. You planned a potluck for the Patterson Silk Strike. September 3rd, 1915. Hosted a benefit for the defense of convicted murderer Joe Hill. You've been keeping tabs on me? We've got files on all you reds. November 12th, 1918, spoke at an anti-draft rally and made treasonous statements against the United States government. Recognize this pamphlet? Red filth belongs in the dirt. For your un-American activity, you leave me no choice. Ruby Chen, you are under arrest for sedition. What? You'll get shipped back to China. And the city will confiscate your bar. I'll be the only one bidding at the auction when this place goes for a song. Screw you! Try any funny business, Pipsqueak, and we'll pin you for a red. Come on, China doll. Help! Ruby! I warned you, Pipsqueak! (laughs) Ruby! (sighs) The pamphlet. Statement of Eugene Debs. 
before the judge who sentenced him for sedition. While there is a lower class, I am in it. While there is a criminal element, I am of it. And while there is a soul in prison, I am not free. It's been three months since election night 2020, and I just so happen to be back at Bubba's bar. Wonder if Bob will show up tonight. How you doing, Bubba? Hey, it's the argumentative guy from three months ago. What have you been up to, my friend? Raising hell in every time zone. Bubba, I read a new fact today. Bob's here. I'm going to slip into this corner and see how she's doing. A hundred years ago, there were more than 1,200 socialists in office in this country. Socialist mayors, city councilmen. There was a socialist congressman. Uh, let me have a schlitz. Bob the bookworm. These days, your nose is always in a book. I'm learning stuff they never taught us in school. A woman's right to vote, the eight-hour workday overtime pay. You can thank socialists for all that. You sound like a Marxist. Well, this town used to be full of reds, and I don't mean Republicans. Working people, regular people, who marched together and kicked ass and took no crap. If people don't like it here, they can move to another country. Hell no. Everything that's great about this country came because of folks who weren't satisfied with the way things were. That's why I'm organizing the drivers at DoorDash. We're forming a union for safe conditions and a living wage. Capitalism is what makes this country great! Competition! You want us to be like socialist Sweden, but this is America. Call me un-American? That's exactly how they destroyed the socialists. When folks start coming together and finding their power, the guys on top start stirring up hate. Pretty soon, we get lynchings, shootings, deportations. They can do that to us because they keep our history hid. They need us to believe in their system, even though it ain't working for us. If we get together and use every tool we got, from the ballot box to the shop floor, we can make our own damn system, where the wealth we create makes life better for all people. Now, history reminds us that all revolutions are unfinished, and every success or failure simply sets us up for the next fight. Looks like Bob's ready. Are you? Teen Red is directed by Rotimi Agbabiaka and adapted from a stage production written by Rotimi Agbabiaka with Joe Holden. Music and lyrics by Ira Marlowe. Audio engineering and sound design by Will McCandless and Taylor Gonzalez. Guitar and woodwinds by Patrick Byer. Drums and percussion by Andrew Nivett. Keyboard and bass by Daniel Savio. And stage management by Karen Rock. Seeing Red features Andre Amaradico, Michael Jean Sullivan, Keiko Shimasato Carrero, and Lisa Hori Garcia. You've been listening to Your Rights at Work. See you next week. <laughs>